America is the greatest country the world has ever known. We are a nation of immigrants, pioneers, and patriots. Together, we create the bold, beautiful fabric that is America. We are the city upon the hill, a beacon to the world. America is the land of freedom and unlimited opportunity. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. We the people have stories to share, stories to uplift and inspire. You will feel proud, humbled, and blessed to call yourself an American. There's, there's a price that's been paid. And we should never, ever take it for granted, cherish it, and be worth the sacrifice and show our gratitude that way. Justin's American Story. Welcome to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Justin, and I have had the opportunity to meet Justin at an event that was sponsored by another one of my guests, Kyle Fox, with Follow the Flag. You know, I've sat here since you, you asked me and invited me, and it, it's very humbling because I've listened to all your podcasts and who the people come in and sharing their stories, and I'm just, it, it's amazing to me. and. I, it fills my heart. That means a lot to me, Justin. And just so all of you know, Justin and I have tried this once before and the podcast gods were not in our favor. They were not <laughs> on our side that day. And we just could not connect. Um, the internet stability was horrible. And so we had to reschedule. We're hoping that uh, everything works in our favor today. Isn't that right, Justin? Yes, I have faith. <laughs> me too. Justin, let's start at the beginning of your story. Why don't you share a little bit about your life as a little Justin? <laughs> I was probably called the little you-know-what more than anything. <laughs> Born and raised in Gunnison, Utah, still living here. Grew up next to my grandma and grandpa. Did all the normal kid stuff growing up, no worries in the world. Come home when the street lights turned on, never got caught, luckily doing a lot of stuff, but. Never got caught, right? Yeah, I mean, when you're that, you know, real little, it's not too horrible, but, but yeah, just, geez, life was great. Growing up in small town America and, and, and having fun. Grew up, like I said, next to my grandpa Ace, He's a huge part of it of why what come back in full circle and my grandpa Carol also and we come back to that. Growing up, my birth mother, my birth father, at very young age, my dad had a lot of health problems. I remember being in the hospital a lot. Mom helped him take care of him. He he was diabetic. He had renal failure and and all the other wonderful stuff that comes along with it. And mom would do dialysis in our home and, and remember help taking care of him and mom, you know, taking care of him. And that was, took a majority of my, well, I wasn't even a teenager yet, but that was a big part of my life. And then he passed in, oh boy, 88, no, 85. 1985 so I was 12 years old and as a kid I didn't 
know how to deal with any of that and just kept going on and that kind of comes into this story also and then grandma and grandpa they had their health problems and mom was always there to take care of them and listen to the world war ii stories from grandpa off and on helping him he he took care of his yard it was immaculate and that's all i remembered is just big big old round guy where did your grandpa serve do you know europe oh wow so he was the south african theater italy and he was actually there from 43 to, to 45 he was a prisoner of war the germans caught him in in italy and i actually have his pow journal but i wish i would ask more questions as i say everybody spend some time with your elders and talk to them ask them questions because i wish i'd asked more do you know how long he was a pow little over a year wow so he went to stalag 7a which was in germany and stalag 2b which is in poland in the upper north eastern and he went to a a work commando they found out he was a farmer and he knew how to milk cows and do all that stuff some of the stories are they made airplane fuel out of the potato peelings did he share with you the treatment that they received as POWs? Yeah, they marched them for almost 600 miles. At the end, this was February 9, 1945, because the Russian front, we'd already been through Normandy, we're heading east, we're gonna get them, you know, and the, and the Russian front was coming in from the, from the east to the west. And the Americans were assets to the Germans. Um, they took the French prisoners of war out in the field and shot them before they started this march. And in the worst winter of 45, maybe a loaf of bread. You know, and I'm not guessing these are the big loaves that we have these days. Eight men every other day. You know, they was lucky if they, if they had anything. But he'd always complain about, he had horrible feet. And I'll say this nice, he would complain about them gosh damn cobblestone roads. Oh, I mean, all the time. <laughs> so did he have poor feet before or because of? Because of that. Oh, all right. I've tracked the miles and through it with his journal and on a map. And I say it was just very under 600 miles that they marched him. You know, I, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but what a treasure that is to have that journal. It, it really is. It's, and that's it. Y'all, you know, I always knew about it, found it again. Thank goodness after he passed, my mother got it. And, and then in turn, I got it. It ended up, I found it again. How did he feel about America? He enjoyed and loved everything about it. He would, he loved it enough. He talked about the horrible things and still did it and was proud of his service and he loved us enough you know he wasn't one to pat himself on the back or anything like that but looking back now it's like he volunteered he signed up he left his family and farm him and three brothers all went to world war ii did they all come home yes oh my goodness how blessed Luckily. were they for that wow yeah they were lucky 
So this is the, the grandfather on your mom's side or your dad's side? My mom's. Okay, and your father's side, he served as well? Yes, he served in the South Pacific. He wouldn't talk about it a lot. I've heard more from my uncle about what he went through. He was a smaller guy, which in turn, they used him to go in the tunnels. And, and he was in part of the Philippines. So he would, and this is for, coming from my uncle, is he remembered having to put the flamethrower down. And if they wouldn't come out, they'd have to burn them. And he remembers the screams of the, the Japanese fighters. War is hell, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And my uncle is still in. He, he's in the Army National Guard. And he joined at age 17. That's what everybody did around here was join at 17, go to basic, finish your senior, go to AIT. He is a, a lieutenant colonel in the National Guard now. I remember his first deployment to Iraq in, I believe it was 05, the battalion from here went. I went to say goodbye at Grandpa's, and, and he was married, and he had a daughter, and he had left. And, and I remember my grandfather saying it. He just wept. He says, I hope he doesn't go through what I see. And that's when I realized, yeah, I knew he was a, World War II veteran, but there was a sacrifice made. What did these stories, when you heard them, how did that make you feel? You know, back then, they was doing this for us, and their families, and, and I, I worried uh, that he wouldn't make it back home, and he did, and he went again and again. I always had that question in the back of my mind is, they're doing this for us. They're, they could die. They could not make it home. Why would anybody want to do that? You, you know, you hear the, I heard all the stories from grandpa. I never put much thought into it. I just always thought, man, okay. I mean, as far as that goes, it sounds horrible. Well, you mentioned that you had a lot of people, that there were a lot of people in Gunnison that when they, were done with high school, they would go into the military. Is that something yeah. that you considered? I did. I was 16 and a lot of my friends were older. They went, I remember that summer, they all went at 17 to basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So we're artillery around here at the 245th and Manti and Richfield, the Triple Deuce. And loneliest summer of my life because my best friend went, my uncle went. Um, other friends, I mean, we have a large number of young men that went, and, and some are still in. And, and then I remember them coming back, and their mothers say it, they went away young boys and come back men. But that was just, that seemed the thing to do. You join the Guard at 17, finish out in two years, you get your AIT done, and then move on, either stay reserve or go active duty. In fact, one of my father's friends that he worked with was a recruiter in, Ma in the Manti Battery. He recruited thousands. Why did you not join? Diabetes. I got it at 12. 
and like I said, it always, uh, always knew. Well, I guess I'll step back as this is a good time to bring this up is living next to my grandpa, Asel. He, he was a POW and he had this, another fellow Utah soldier. His name is Rudolph Blecke. He lived in Ogden. So they marched together in Europe and Poland. But, it, but this one day, I don't even, I have the picture of them two standing together still, but that day, I think it was my grandpa's birthday party. They would call each other or call, make contact every year since 1945 that they were reparated on that day of, was it April 14th? But he had come down to Gunnison next door. I go over there and grandpa introduces me and I'm just, I think I was nine, 10. And this Rudolph looks at me and these two old guys stand there, gray haired. And he just tells me, he's like, your grandpa, is my hero. He saved my life when I was sick. He found me carts or ways to get to the next station where they might bed down for the night. He gave me his piece of bread. Uh, he, he saved me from getting beat. And, and in the journal it says, you know, he must have been a hellion. He must have been that hellion POW because he got tied to trees. And, and he's got tears in his eyes telling me this. And I'm looking at grandpa the round guy and it's like there I, I i didn't know how to describe but there was a love and a brotherhood between them two and i couldn't describe it then but i felt it later that i still search for to this day well what an impact when you see him as an older man broken down by life, by everything that he's been through. And this person sees him as a hero in that time in their, their youth when they were strong or started yeah. off strong. That's an incredible experience. I looked at him in a different light from that day on and even stronger now. Well, you were unable to join the military, but as an adult, in those early adult years, was there still that patriotism running through you? You know, I think I always loved the country. Um, patriotism, I can't say. That's probably the time, because after dad died, my mom did remarry to the, the man that ultimately raised me. And how lucky I am. His name is Jim, James Hill. The, them two came together. Uh, and that part of my life began and, and they ended up working up north and and I'm just this kid trying to get through high school. I, I kind of look at that time a lot, a, a portion of my life and being young, went to college. I, want, I did want to join the Air Force back in the day and I loved airplanes and I wanted to go blow things up and all little boys want to go blow things up, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went to school in aerotechnology and airframe and power plant mechanic and love that. But I, I think after college, life was good. But I think I lost a lot of, I, I, I look at those years from 21, 22. I mean, I had a son born, but I just got lost in the basics of life. Wake up, go to work, provide. 
I guess I didn't know where I was going. I was just doing the basics and uh, down that path. But I'd gotten married. So you bring, bring fog kicking in here, but. Justin is dealing with a concussion for all of you listening. <laughs> so I really appreciate him doing this for me. I asked him several months ago and he said, I don't, I think your words were something like, I don't even think I could form a coherent sentence for you right now. <laughs> this has been months in the works and I'm very appreciative of Justin to do this. You went through a very difficult time for a while. Is yes, that something uh, that you feel comfortable sharing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I didn't communicate. My mother, you know, I never knew how to deal with dad's, dad's death. It's just something that happened. There was a funeral. Everybody went home. In 2000, my mother got pancreatic cancer. Mm. And not just, I mean, it took her. It took her fast. And I still didn't. That one really hurt, but I still didn't know how to deal or handle. It was just, well, that's, we live, we die, we deal with it and go on. And I guess right after that, I would, my coping was not talking and drinking. Kept going, kept going. And all this added up. It, it compounded over the years and then Ultimately, I was drinking every day. My first wife then left with the two children and then ended up getting divorced. Didn't help anything. Just I had met my current wife now and I still, I, I wasn't drinking a whole lot. But when I did, I would hide it because that was my coping mechanism. But then it just got worse. And then I, I, I mean, I had the county sheriffs and cops after me one night and I didn't get arrested. I went in, I talked to them after the next day, paid my fines, did the hours, seen a therapist, but I seen a therapist, what the court order was, was because why they was after me was, it, not, you know, I didn't, it was a, a violence thing, a domestic violence, but it wasn't, I didn't, hit my wife or anything but that was what i got wrote in it for and i took the she tried calling the cops so at that time you know going too deep but i took the phone for away from her which isn't which isn't good but, but i guess what i'm getting at is i had to go there counseling for seven months for that it wasn't to handle my core issues so guess what problem's not solved i just did the what i was supposed to so my substance abuse and coping went to opiates and there's so much stuff that you can get over the counter also and was that it, from an injury is that where you got them from well it's just not hard to get them mm. i could make any story up or go to a certain doctor i, I mean honestly it, it's on tap and, you know i i don't know about these days but it really was an epidemic I think worse than, you know, and I was always a, if one is good, 10 is better and everything. But I, I got to that point where I was asked and I agreed. I mean, I, my cycle was I'd work a night shift. 
I'd already have a fifth in the truck. I'd drive home, drink it. When and when I was asked to leave the home, wake up at an afternoon, go to work, repeat. What a horrible life. You must have been completely miserable. I never knew how to deal with what was inside. I never knew. The old uh, thing was you have a di an addictive personality is the worst statement I've ever heard in my life because we're all addicts and with something, but an addictive personality is why I drink. No, that's, that's how I was coping and not solving the problem. How long did you have this issue with the alcohol and the drugs? It was a long time, right? After mom died. And how many years did that last? This was 2015 when I left home and for six months it got horrible. That would have been 13 years. Wow. But I got real intense at the anal and latter part. That's sad. That's a big chunk of time that, wow, but I, you can't go back. No, and you know, and when I say, I looked at time as I was, I was a wandering generality. I was functioning, but not really doing anything. I don't even know how you went to work every day. Oh, well, it, your body builds immunity to it. And to be honest, some days the best thing to do is wake up hungover, start drinking again. I had my, my rock bottom. I think I tried to almost break every commandment there is. That's how horrible life and is was. That, is that because you feel so bad about yourself that what does it matter? Right. You're, the decision, there's no boundaries. It's just, I actually went to see a friend this night. I call my, to be honest with, next morning is when stuff started to be good. But he was, go, he was recovering. He was going to rehab the next day, the next morning. And I'm already at his house, half high, saying I'm proud of you. And I was. I admired him and he needed it. Um, that night fell apart. The shame and the guilt was so hard. I knew I couldn't commit suicide or take my own life just out of the blue. I knew I, I, I mean, I was weak. You consider that weak? To be able, yeah. To I, not I be able to end your life, you considered weak. I, I needed the boost of, I, I went back to, I was staying at a family cabin during these six months. I went, I'd already been using that day. I went and downed a, a fifth of whiskey and whatever pills I had left in my, in the pill bottle I took and some over the counter stuff. I packed my, my revolver. I got in the truck. I knew where I was going. I knew I didn't want to wake up again that night. I couldn't repeat this, this cycle of waking up again and doing the same thing over and over. I knew where I was going, and that's the last thing I remember. I remember the lights on the road, my, where I was headed to. And I woke up in the cabin that morning, confused as to why I'm looking up at the ceiling and could remember my plan. I was a planner, a user is a planner. And, and I was successful in my plans, but it was confusing to me that I was there. I was like, I couldn't figure out what happened. 
You remember like driving, but you don't remember getting to the cabin, right? I don't remember getting back to cabin. And, oh, it was, I mean, I, through the years, I, I rolled my car off a cliff and walked away from it, from drinking up in the mountains. I've drove by people. I mean, I was that, that drunk guy on the highways with people's families. So that's how bad I, 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 I was passing other vehicles in our, our side view mirrors just tap, you know, ticked, unbrake. But I was that, I mean, that's, that was my life. What a miracle you never killed anyone. Yes. And you were never pulled over for a DUI. I never got. Wow. I don't know why. And I maybe I. Yeah, I probably should have. But maybe this was the path that I had to get through. But I, I, like I said, I woke up that morning. Maybe I just turned around and never even left after I had double, triple stacked substances. So I go out and look in the truck, and it's awful, dirty, dense. I had thrown up inside of it. Like, there was remnants of something happened. But the thing that the last six months or most part of my life, especially the last six months of that, I woke up hungover every morning. But I woke up that morning, and I was as clear-headed, energized, And I know, I know someone was there because it, it, it was unmistakable. You weren't alone in the cabin. No, there was somebody watching over you. There was a there was a light and a different feeling that day that I've never felt. I don't know as if I've ever felt that. But that started the that road. I I talked to my wife the next day. I was like, "Okay, here's I, I'm going to go to rehab." And had she and known I'm it was as bad as it was that last six months? It was probably a refresher to her that she didn't have to. She loved me like I mean, no other. But. It was, I'm thankful. I can't imagine her life. An addict or anybody going through a hard time, their family. I mean, I might as well have given them a bottle every time I drank too, because it's as hard on them as it is, the, if not harder. But we, we agreed. I says, I'm going to rehab. And she said that for years. You need help. And, you know, and obviously I said I didn't, but. I said, I'm going to go, and if I'm not 100% and can be better for you and the kid, I, you know, we'll get divorced. And she, and, and I, and she even had a, a, a divorce decree made while I was at rehab. And, and this little small town guy that never talked and kept to himself and never asked for help walked into this rehab with a bunch of strangers and, and it was in Sandy, Utah. Turning Point, by the way, is awesome. And I met people with the same problems as me. Talk about a healing thing. And I walked out of there 30 days later and I went back home. And I felt this need 
I had a purpose finally in life. I wasn't that wandering generality anymore. So um, back to work and work. It, it came to the point where crap. Yeah, life is better, but work still sucks. <laughs> it's, it's the same drag because it's a, you're doing the same thing over and over. And then here's my mind planning on using again. But, but anyway, this is where. I look at this point as my service began. There was a veteran that started working there, an Iraq veteran from Tennessee. He just got a job there. He recently retired from the Army. And we talked a little bit and this and that. I started, like I said, feeling that service thing, something there. He just out of the blue, he goes, I come from Texas to this. It was called Oath back then. It's a veteran organization. We take hunters or veterans hunting, combat veterans, and you want to help. And I'm sitting there before that, my hands and my, my head in my hands, planning on do I go to the liquor store? And I was the most amazing feeling overcome me that this is what I needed. Hell yes, I want to help. Was this before or after you got out of rehab? After. I had okay. gotten, I was maybe six months out of rehab. And so, of course, those temptations are still there. Yeah, it's just the, the drag. that It's the same. You're back in the same thing every day. And love, loved Oath and still in contact with the, the founder of Oath. And, and then, the, and I'll say this, Guy is the guy <laughs> that asked me to help and, and is my brother to this day. But I still tell him, I was like, dude, you don't know how bad, how much you impacted me that day just by asking me if I want to help veterans. And that, that we did, we raised money. We worked, I worked with him. It was just what I needed. I was with people I wanted to be around. Like we took veterans out. And what I learned was, you know, we always say heroes. You're my hero because you're in the army and you went to Iraq. We kind of forget about them and call them a hero. They're fine. They're, yeah, they do that for us. That's cool. That's some guys over there. But guess what? They come back home. They're humans. They need help. The stuff is healing and, and going through that sobriety. I, I understood a little. You know, they're two different things. But, like, these guys need help. To, we can't just... They have families, they have lives, they have stuff they have to deal with when they get home. And they're not with their brothers or their sisters in the armed forces anymore. And that's a huge thing that they need and look forward to. So we as, as civilians and humans need to be there for them. Not just say, thanks for your service, because that's great. And we need to be thankful and acknowledge them. But to me, it's not adequate. We got Oath is still going strong. Our Utah chapter dissipated for different reasons. We went and did the Bataan. This guy, my friend, my brother, <laughs> Guy Heard, Sergeant First Class Heard. We did the Bataan. He entered us, shamed us, shamed me into doing the Bataan Death March. <laughs> Where did you do that? Where was that? It's in White Sands Missile Range outside of La Cruz. La Cruces. I can't remember. In New Mexico. It doesn't Las sound Cruz. fun. 
it was life changing. Like we What's get involved there. in that. So it's a, the Bataan, it's a Bataan death march that happened in the South Pacific. And they had to, I believe it was, I mean, the story goes, I think MacArthur had to leave all these American soldiers and Filipino soldiers got left there. They had to surrender. Then they marched them almost 80 miles, 60, 80 miles to the camp. But how ruthless. I mean, if you stop to get a dirty drink of water in the puddle, they chop your head off or they drive along and stab him in the back or starve him to death and just a brutal, brutal experience. And, and they're still survivors. So it's a, it's a memorial march and then, and there's survivors there and they're treated like kings. They, I mean, which they should be, but there's a football field full of participants that year. We've got our rucks on. We're going 26 miles in the desert, 110 degrees. Ugh. And along this way, there's that feeling of that unity, that people together accomplishing this. And I remember we got under past the highway. And I had been mile 12, 13. To this day, I remember this tall, slender old lady has got knee braces on and she's got walking sticks and she's obviously ain't doing the half which is 14 miles she's going for the full oh. no excuse like this stuff she's doing this for somebody some reason she loves it what a sack you know uh, uh, her sacrifice i run into there was a navy seal in blanding utah that died on extortion 17 is Jason Workman and their family. But I knew he was still team six gold squadron. And I knew the shield, what it looked like. And this guy's sitting there on a rock and he has that flag shield on his backpack. And I just stopped and say, Hey, you know, Jason Workman. Well, yeah. Who the hell are you? You know, I just said, I, I know their family. I've talked to their family. I made them a memorial and carry on. You know, nice to meet you. And, I never asked his name, but it was Edward Byers, the Medal of Honor recipient. And he was on the same team. And just a little thing, you know, after that, but people, like they're not doing all this out for their health. They're doing it for their heart, their spirit, and their patriotism. So that stuck with me, stuck with me. That was 17. I couldn't do the 18 because my stepfather had died that year. January of 18, that the big C, not COVID. Ugh. I know but, that big C all too well, and my family <laughs> get it. And by the way, he was an amazing father. He retired from the Waterford School. I don't know if you know them. He, he had amazing jobs, talents. He retired, you know, and, and mom was gone, obviously, and he applied as a correctional officer at our, our prison here, just this way. I was like, really, Dad? And, and he broke his shoulder during the, you know, they got to pass all the fitness tests and all that. They get accepted. He fell down, broke his shoulder, rehab from that, got back in, did it, finished. And then 
he comes to me, he's like, well, they're going to pay for me to be a cop. I got to go up to the academy there. Um, you know what it is, the, what's it called? The police academy. I have no clue. You give me more credit than I deserve. <laughs> <laughs> he passed at 68 years old, my stepfather, my father passed the law enforcement academy. And of all the jobs in his life, all the amazing things and accomplishments, he loved the people in the correctional and law enforcement. It's the most rewarding thing ever. And, and he had passed away in 2000. But, so 15, I got sober. Dad got cancer that same year. Then next three years, we grew together, talked more. We was blessed to have that time together. He passed. I had this in my, I had the baton. I couldn't go do it this year because I didn't think I could because with dad gone. And so the United We March began. And honestly, I mean, it did 18. As, and this is how I was doing it. Well, let's go out and just put it out there. We're going to go in the, you know, memory because we can't go to New Mexico. We're going to go rock. Why? You know, I don't know, because it's cool. The people, some people in this community, we all got together decided finally, well, let's do it. Let's make the best we can out of this. And in 2018, we put a dinner, an auction, and the ruck march. Will you explain <laughs> we what a ruck march means? You know, in the military, it's carrying weight. Okay. I look at it as it's burdens. It's it's supposed to be hard. It's you know the military. Or it, it is a great healing thing for anyone. You put this weight on. Why not do it? I mean, everybody can do it. Let's make it hard. Let's learn from this. Uh, I I I was mirroring the baton. To be honest, I was I miss the baton. I miss that feeling. It's always inside of me. It was a hard sell too, and we had—I think we had 87 participants that year. Wow! I—I I was all pumped up. We're gonna have 7,000, you know, I'm thinking, or no, 1,700, because it's cool. Everybody won't do it. Uh, I even thought there's gonna be all these military do it, and I'll talk to them and be like, "Who the hell are you kidding? We've done that already. Why do we want to rock down here with you guys?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it was successful. We picked some charities. I think we made 21, 24. We made quite a bit of money. I had, I remember handing out checks to these charities under law enforcement, veteran, first responder, EMS. I think we did just under $6,000 of charity after covering all our expenses and uh, I, it got done. We put everything away. That just really happened. We got to do it again. So 19, we grew, made it better. We had 120 some participants. And we started to learn about what this is really about. We can't just say thank you. We got, like I said, it's not good enough for me. We have to let them see us. We're doing this for you. We're doing this because we're thinking, you know, we're, we're honoring you. We're honoring your brother and sisters of the past. And 9-11, 9-11 in this generation, our, our era, so our regeneration, whatever, 
9-11, there was their firefighters, law enforcement, EMS. We're still at war because of that. We have to honor and, and show them. But this lady signed up and not in shape and, and she admitted it and was doing it with another, actually one of our committee members. Uh, and he wasn't in shape either, uh, but their, their heart's driven to it. And, and he had to bail out. He had foot problems, boot wrong, wrong shoes. She finished, took her a while. And then I get this email from her after it was done. Her husband said, I think you ought to share with what you did. So I find out she has cancer. Mm. It, she did this ruck march and finished. And then I realized this is about more than just our humans we call heroes. This is about all of us. This is about getting through hard times. And, and I understood that. And we as Americans, our greatest gift of thanks and gratitude has to be, can you imagine a soldier coming home from a deployment and seeing the division in the country? Uh, like I say, we, yeah, we can shake their hands, I thank you, but how would it be if we was getting along through our differences? Because it didn't matter who we are, they still fought for our freedoms. The firemen, the law enforcement, the first responders still answer the call, no matter our race. Politics is a big one politics or our sexual whatever it is we call today like they they did it for us we've got to stop the division and be we've got to be americans together work agree to disagree get along i don't care serve one another it is the greatest gift that i feel that we can show our gratitude and, we, and United We March is built, that's become our core. It's about all these amazing servicemen and women. And it's about us becoming stronger, getting through our problems also. This year then will it be the fourth year? Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. This is our fourth year and it all, it falls on I won't say anniversary. It's been 20 years since the uh, attacks in New York City. That's amazing. That's our focus point this year. We have Kyle Fox, the Fox family, the Follow the Flag family will be here with Big Betsy again. We're bringing her up Main Street. We've got an F-35 flyover. And, and last year with COVID, you know, we had the flag last year, but talk about to see the families, the tears, our first responders coming up Main Street, we're reaching our, what do we say, our, our mission. We're getting there, we're bringing people together. To participate in this, do you need to be in the military or a first responder, is that how it works? Nope. Like I said, I, my dream was, I'm gonna have all these military guys with their rucksacks, and no, no, it's, <laughs> it's everyone. How long is this ruck race, is that what you call it? Yeah, there's some that run it. You can do it without a rucksack, a light class, which is no weight. 
we have water stations. We take care of everybody. Um, we've got runners that'll do the 26 and three and a half hours. You know, our half is 16 miles. It, it's just, you pick your poison. The Friday we have dinner and auction. Sunday or Saturday morning we kick off the gut check and it's personal. This is a whole weekend of activities then. Yeah. And if people want to look it up, is it under Gunnison Gut Check or United um, We March? United We March on Facebook. Registration is gutcheck.itcherrace.com. I mean, social media is our best tool. Hey, yeah. Justin, I know that you have met incredible people through your organization, and there are people that have made a huge difference for you. And in fact, I'm sure that we're both thinking of one person in particular. I would like you to maybe tell us a little bit about one or two people that have made a difference in your life by attending your event. Oh, please. One right off the get-go is Dave Acosta. Tactical trainer, law enforcement officer, retired. I remember somebody recommended. I we we have a motivational speaker every year, and he said Dave Costa. Got his number, left a message. I was like, I'm just some podunk kid <laughs> guy, whatever, in Gunnison, Utah. The guy called me back, and and I'm explaining to him. I'm bumbling my words like. This is the first year I'm trying to figure out what we're doing. We're, we're packing a rucksack, dude, you know. But I get to where this is for first responders, veterans, and I get to law enforcement, and he, he just says, I'm in. I'll do it. And he spoke of our first event, and I'll have to send you that copy. I would love that. David died last year almost in, in two days. July 30th, he died last year from a bicycle accident and like I still hear his voice in my head everywhere I go it's like Dave is gone but Dave is still here his family it, it's one of them thank god I met David Costa he answered my phone message and that girl that I said had cancer she remembered how if you had a lost child you would never give up looking for it in the forest I think is what he said that morning you just keep going, keep going. She goes, that helped me finish. We had his friend, a Navy SEAL, Omar Vieira, the next year speak. Bill Bradford. Matt Bradford, that's who I was thinking of. Yep, I knew it too. <laughs> Matthew Bradford. He's another one that I, I'd listened to. I love Jocko podcasts, and he come on there, and I was like, that's who we need. There ain't a chance in hell this guy's going to want to come to Gunnison. But I'm going to try. And I contacted him through email. And I get this email from a blind guy. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I poo-poo pants, pity parties at things. And I, I could just hang around him all the time. But when he spoke... Last year, the 2020, and the park, I mean, we had 800 people, 1,000 people sitting there. And he come up on stage, and you could hear a pin drop. 
and that Kentucky draw that he has, it's just a very slight <laughs> one, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I just sat there. I was like, this is what we're about. Like he is helping everybody there. And on the route, I still hear stories of people talking to him and an operation enduring warrior came along with him to help him on this tour. So it's that center mission, that brotherhood thing. Remember I talked about with Rudolph Bleck and my grandpa hit me hard last year. I went to say goodbye to Matthew the day that night after he got done with the gut check and needed to go back home and they fly with them in, they fly with them out. I mean, no legs, no vision. He did 16 miles. Oh my gosh. And I keep him, I have a room him at my family's cabin and I, I just want to say goodbye and OEW, the team lead, he, he went in and he brought him outside for me and my wife to say goodbye to him. He's clean. He's taken care of. He's comfortable. He's resting his stumps. Francis leans over and he's like, okay, Matthew, um, I think we should get you rested. You need something to eat, drink, you know, just totally in it. I just think that all these, they are not, they are in the safest place on the planet with Operation Enduring Warrior. They are loved so much and that brotherhood, they would literally still die for one another and to help these law enforcement officers and veterans that have been wounded and have their challenges and strengthen them. They don't, they're there to help them but they're there to help them to reach their honor, empower, and motivate to help them. And yeah, it, I've, and, and my, you know, people that I've met or my, the United We March committee is amazing. They have families, they have jobs, and they're pouring their hearts into this to make it a success together with all our time, talent, abilities. Everybody brings something to the table. And that's how we can show our gratitude. All of the proceeds then go to first responders, vets, organizations, things like that, right? 9 11? Yes. Yeah, so our veteran is Utah Valley University Veteran Center. Veteran Success Center, sorry, um, Utah 1033 Foundation that's for Paul and Utah law, law enforcement officers, Wildland Firefighter Foundations based out of Boise, nationwide, the guy loves firefighters. You talk to him, he starts crying. Their walls are covered with fallen firefighters. We have our a charity that falls under United We March. It's called the Ace Lee Thompson Not Forgotten Fund, which my grandfather that I grew up next to. It's a service that money will go to. We built a ramp for a veteran about 80 miles from here. We've rebuilt a deck. We've painted a home for this Vietnam veteran in Farron. And we also he has this old motorbike, this Honda that he tore apart years ago. His wife had passed away and it selected uh, a daughter had contacted me. He needs help. He's drinking. He needs 
he needs something and we hear that you guys can do that well absolutely but it brought everybody together we had a construction a lumber supplier donate all the materials a friend that's in construction brought his crew in we built his deck we painted his house i took his motorbike to motorcycle repair place here in town and he got it going and we had uh, um, a group that honors veterans a motorcycle club bring his bike in drive it up the guy got on it fired it up drove around and i'd stayed there later cleaning up that day and i heard him fired up and leave and so i left i'm like he's around here somewhere and here he comes towards me he's got this gray beard he's got long gray hair and i could see his dang smile from ear to ear and i was like that's what it's about it's and together though i mean the people that showed up yes we we start doing this but we do it through help the others and then hopefully they'll see what we do and they'll pass it along to that person to that person to that person it's got to be exponential got to start somewhere my last question, my final question for you is, what does America mean to you? It means everything, but everything we have, I've seen in the tears of veterans and their families. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like I said, an addict might as well pour up their spouse a glass too because somebody's deployed, their families are affected just as much. When a law enforcement or a firefighter family watch their spouse run out to go help, I've been on that end where I'm waiting for the siren to come because my house is on fire. I feel great when I hear that siren, put myself in their footsteps. They may not make it home because they need help, somebody's breaking in their house, their house is on fire, you know, they're getting called out. There's, there's a price that's been paid and we should never ever take it for granted, cherish it and be worth the sacrifice and show our gratitude that way. Be good, be Americans no matter what love and care for one another. Thank you for sharing your American story, Justin. Thank you. It, it helps me talk about our mission. I've always wanted to serve and we're doing it without a uniform. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of season three. I cannot think of a more perfect way than to have started it off with Justin. Justin has become a great friend. He has been an avid supporter of my podcast, and I know that he will never understand how much I appreciate it. Justin, thank you for being so honest and sharing with us your struggles and how you overcame those. It was truly an inspirational time to spend with you. If you want more information on the Gunnison Gut Check, visit gutcheck.itsyourrace.com. I really appreciate your support with this podcast. And the best thing that you can do is to leave a rating, subscribe, and share with friends and family. Next week, I'm really excited to bring you my guest. It's my Uncle Bob. 
This chocoholic 94-year-old is a World War II and Korean War vet, and he will have you rolling. Until next Friday, see you then.